Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is Andre from The Mental Health. I'm here with Nada Hussain. She's a doctoral candidate from York University in Toronto uh, and also a member of the Global Alliance board. What's your role on the board, Nada? I'm one of the student and early career representatives on the board, so there are two of us. Fantastic. And you did a session here at the conference yesterday. Yes, I did. Just give us an introduction to this really interesting field of research. Thanks so much for having me, Andre. So I'm interested in understanding how the built environment and different parts of the built environment um, influence health. Um, And really, when we think about the way we design our cities and towns, they're inequitable. There are reasons for it. It's because of historical exclusionary policies. But um, really thinking about how folks who have been marginalized, like communities of color, um, etc., have been excluded from um, certain parts of the city building process and access to resources. And we know a lot about urban living and mental illness. There's a really established evidence base now that shows if you live in cities, you're more likely to suffer with mental health problems. Um, And also kind of place-based research that shows that if you live in particular parts of cities, you're more likely to um, have a risk of psychosis, for example. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when we think about the work that I do in Toronto in Canada, um, we know that the city is divided based on neighbourhoods. So it's divided um, as well along income and racial lines. And so what's happening is that we're, we're seeing this growing inequity that's happening in terms of access to um, public green spaces, which is what I'm focusing on in my dissertation. But also if we think about um, transportation systems, um, sidewalks, streets, bike, you know, cycling infrastructure, um, affordable housing, These are all issues that relate back to the built environment. And so when we think about the impact at a broader structural or systemic level on mental health and well-being, we really need to start to take um, a a larger scale approach to understanding how to integrate public health and the built environment and disciplines like planning. So let's just kind of take a couple of steps back. I'm interested in your thoughts on why access to green space and blue space are important for mental well-being? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing this, there's a growing amount of literature out there that shows that sometimes even seeing a photograph of green space or blue space can actually promote mental health and well-being in patients and communities, um, people who are recovering from illnesses. And so there's a difference you know, then obviously the impacts are are even greater when you're actually in these spaces. So then who gets to go, you know, to their nearby park that's well-maintained, litter-free, sit on a, you know, bench in the shade, have access to amenities, maybe a, you know, um, a public washroom that's clean or a drinking fountain with clean drinking water. Um, And so these are all the amenities that really allow someone to go to a space and experience the positive mental health benefits. So talk me through what you've done with your research, how it's worked in terms of the methods you've used, that kind of thing. Yeah, so um, for this research project, it's called Park Perceptions and Racialized Realities. So we really wanted to explore the experiences of people who are racialized, so black, indigenous, and people of color, in two Toronto neighborhoods. So specifically in St. Jamestown and Jane and Finch. And we worked with um, 
we work together uh, you know, with two community organizations, the St. Jamestown Community Co-op and the Jane Finch Center. And we used um, a photo voice process. And part of the reason for this was really because it's important to see and hear people's experiences. And I think the visual methodology, like seeing photographs, um, is a really powerful way to convey what people are experiencing. So we had 18 residents take over 200 photographs um, off their public green spaces in response to prompts like access or inclusivity and mental health and well-being. And so these are some really powerful photographs that start to capture the, the inequities that um, racialized residents are experiencing. And really, this comes back to structural factors in their neighborhoods. Um, the funding perhaps isn't there or isn't being directed equitably into these neighborhoods. And they're not meeting the needs of the residents in these neighborhoods. And some of our listeners might not have heard too much about Photo Voice. Can you explain a bit more about how that works? Yeah, Photo Voice is... Um, a participatory visual action research method. It's really meant to um, be in collaboration with community members. And so the point of it really is to not be this extractive research process, but really be in um, tandem with community and have some tangible outputs. So we co-wrote a community report um, that's available online. Um, and so, th and this is one of the pieces that we now want to share further and take to counselors and the mayor's office and start to talk about, well, these are what residents want to actually see in their neighborhoods, which is specifically safe, high quality, well-maintained public green spaces. And you said there's an exhibition of the photos that were taken as well? Yeah, so we created a traveling photo exhibit, which um, was in both neighborhoods, both in Jane and Finch and St. Jamestown, um, and also collaborated to put it into um, a more formal exhibit, which is up right now in the center of downtown Toronto, so that folks can go and visit it. And really what we're hoping to do is spark a conversation about what does it mean to be safe and feel welcomed and like you belong in a public green space? How does this differ based on who you are, based on your racial identity, your gender identity, all your other intersecting identities, um, and start to really think about how can we create equitable green spaces in cities? And lastly, I'm interested in, so photography is a, a medium which is kind of quite subjective and open to all sorts of interpretations. I'm interested in how you as a researcher take all these photographs that mm -hmm. have been taken by all these different people and you sort of synthesize that into something that says, and this is what this group of people need. Yeah, great question, Andre. And really, Photo Voice um, developed about 20 years ago. There's a lot of literature on this methodology and also came out of um, Paulo Freire's you know, idea, like pedagogy of the oppressed, and thinking about how to give voice to residents. Um, and that's the idea of you know, having them take photographs and then speak to their experiences. And so photography really is, um, there's obviously ethical implications. Um, there's a lot of literature out, out there about how to do it ethically, right? And how to um, also protect the identities of the people taking the photographs if they wish um, and keep them anonymous, but also giving credit if 
that's something that they want to share and be, you know, um, have their work attributed to them. And so there's a there's a rigorous process in place in order to do this work well. Um, and I think that's why there's there's the potential for bridging research, but also having it be accessible to policymakers and to practitioners, people in you know, public health practice or in the planning profession, so that we can actually start to see visuals and start to talk through together. These are the photographs. These are the stories behind the photographs. And how can we move towards action together? Good luck writing it up. Sounds like a fantastic piece of work. And yeah, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you so much, Andre. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm.